Welcome to The Coaching Podcast with your hosts, Emma Doyle and Simon Blair, coach for success in sport and business. G'day, everybody, and welcome to The Coaching Podcast. My name's Emma Doyle. I am here with Paul Shirley, the process guy. Thank you so much, Paul. And would you believe six degrees of separation, this guy actually played basketball in Russia with my best friend back in Melbourne, Australia, Chris Anstey, who's also been on the podcast. So Paul, welcome to the coaching podcast. It makes it feel very familial and I appreciate that. (laughs) Actually, it's so funny that you just said that because I've really been making up words lately. Uh, I I recently called myself a couture, a coach and a mentor. I love that. I love play on words. Uh, We'll get a bit more into that later. Uh, But first of all, we'll kick it off with our stock standard. First question, which is the Vegemite question. You have been to Australia before. Have you tasted the Australian spread? You either love it or you strongly dislike it. What camp are you in? I am the camp that that, uh, it is sort of like cilantro. You know how some people just can't deal with cilantro, but you have to respect that other people love cilantro. I love cilantro. I am not genetically predisposed to enjoy Vegemite, it seems. (laughs) There's something in it that doesn't hit right in my taste buds. (laughs) You couldn't have described that better. I don't think anyone has ever given the uh, coriander, by the way, for our Australian listeners, cilantro Mm -hmm. is coriander, uh, back home, uh, that parallel that little analogy thank you i love it so in which case because you answered that way the follow-up question is can you share with us your worst coaching moment either as an athlete or as a coach now and what were the lessons coaching someone to enjoy cilantro no uh it's uh i i think my worst coaching moments were mostly as a recipient right so i played for 17 professional teams uh that was preceded by playing college basketball um, previous to that, you know, there, there were a lot of youth leagues where I was um, thinking about or, or absorbing some level of coaching. The coaching that I got in basketball ranged from mediocre to great. There were some great coaches along the way. I got to play for my first job out of college. I went to training camp with the Lakers of Phil Jackson. Now, Phil Jackson by that time was kind of an egomaniac and had sort of forgotten like why he had gotten good. But there was a presence about him that I thought was interesting. Uh, I left that job to go play in Greece for a guy named Paniotis Yanakis, who was a legendary Greek player who ended up coaching the Greek national team. Um, got to play for Scott Skiles, who was a really fantastic coach in the NBA. Um, played for uh, two different coaches in Spain who were coaches of the national team. So it was around a lot of great coaching. And then, of course, that was buffeted by some mediocre coaching. But the one thing I think I noticed when it comes to awful coaching was actually in sports that I didn't end up necessarily excelling at, but maybe could have, right? So I, I grew up loving baseball. And when I think back to how I was taught to play baseball, it was mostly by dads who didn't know what they were doing. And it, what I think is interesting about that is how a lot of times it's it was not just that they didn't know what they were doing but that they thought they knew what they were doing. And that causes more problems than if they had just admitted, I don't really know what I'm doing. Why don't you just figure it out yourself? Because what's amazing about kids is their capacity to figure things out. And when I look back at the way that I learned how to play basketball, a lot of it was because I was left to my own devices. And I had this feeling that like, ooh, I'm I'm discovering something for myself today. And I think that speaks to the best kinds of coaches who allow people to figure things out on their own as opposed to trying to control it and put it in one box. 
singing to my coaching philosophy, problem solving and creating those beautiful, rich learning environments. Uh, thank you for sharing that one. What about on the flip side? What about a really great coaching moment and what was some of the lessons? Uh, I had a, a, a baseball coach in high school um, once say, don't ever worry if I'm yelling at you. Worry if I stop yelling at you. Right. And I have used that in various contexts in my life. It's also true in relationships, although hopefully you're not yelling at, at someone. But if you care, you're going to still be invested in like molding someone. Mm -hmm. If you're not trying to help them, mold them, whatever, that usually means you just have given up on on caring. And I think that is hard for people to see sometimes that like. Uh, yes, and again, hopefully the, the criticism that you're putting forth is helpful and constructive, but as soon as that goes away, that usually means that the person is checked out. Mm, yeah, and just reframing the word yelling is <laughs> something that uh, I think is important as well. But thank you for sharing that. The next question is called the sliding doors question. When I was done playing basketball, which was when I was about 33, I was convinced I would be a writer. I had a book come out. Uh, in the middle of my career. And so I thought, well, I got to either move to LA or New York to, again, be a writer. So I moved to Los Angeles where I had a brother living and sent off a, the, the book I had been working on, which was a novel, my first attempt at fiction, to my literary agent. And uh, after about six weeks, he said, okay, this is okay. This is all right. We're going we're gonna to take this to publishers. All of those publishers said no. And he's like, well, this is kind of the end. But I was thinking I will not be daunted by this. I will get it out into the world. So I was going to self-publish it. I sent it to a friend who was going to edit it. Six weeks later, she sent it back and said, I'm sorry, Paul, this is really neither a novel nor autobiographical. I just don't think it's good enough to, to move forward with it. And I broke down in a coffee shop in Venice, mostly because I didn't know what else I would do next, right? I didn't, I had no interest in being in basketball anymore. I, I had just twisted that towel to the to its driest point and I felt this sense of like, well, what am I going to do? So spent the next couple of months probably drinking too much and talking to people and then realized that the problem was I didn't know what I was doing, but that I had this background in a thing that was really ephemeral and, and difficult, which was to become a professional athlete. And that if I could apply some of those lessons from athletics to writing, I could probably figure it out. So I just rethought and reconstituted the way I looked at writing, which previously had been, I'll write when I feel like it, you know, end of the week, I'll write for four hours or something and changed it to something more like basketball, which was, I got to do it every day. I have to do it for a certain amount of time, take all of the lessons I learned from basketball with regard to rest and, and self-talk and all of those kinds of things. And at the same time, I realized that one of the challenges for me with writing was that it was so lonely. So started a collective of sorts in Los Angeles, a, a writer's group um, where we met, sat, wrote, and then talked about it afterward. And that then led to what I do now at the process, which is to help people build habits and routines and rituals well beyond writing and, and to all creatives and freelancers and, and hybrid workers. And I think that, that that sliding door moment you talk about is that what they would call in screenwriting circles, the dark night of the soul, which is when you have to decide, like, am I going to make the final push to defeat the villain? And 
for me, that two months was that dark night of the soul where it was, do I resign myself to coaching basketball? Do I go get a job as an engineer? Like, what is going to be the thing that I do? And so thankfully, I had good support. And thankfully, I had enough um, money saved where I could do those kinds of things, right? Where I had played basketball, I had a couple of years of like living expenses saved where I could say, all right, I'm going to rethink my life. Um, but it feels like a real turning point in my life. I love that. And I'm a big fan of the process. Uh, I've experienced it myself and I love what, what you're doing there to help people. I think in, as we move forward into this new normal, it's even more important. And, and we'll touch on that in a little bit. The next one is in one to a maximum of three words. What do you think makes a great coach? Empathy. That's it. That's my one word. Okay. One yeah. word. Empathy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And can you just expand a little bit on that for us? Oh, yeah, I get to, I am allowed. And now you can expand. Now you've expand. said your word. Well, so when I was in college, I mentioned earlier that I sort of offhand or flippantly said something about engineering. My degree is in mechanical engineering. And in engineering, you have to learn a lot of math for calculuses or calculi, I guess, maybe. And by the end of, of that fourth calculus, so the fourth calculus was differential equation. We had a teacher who was so smart that he couldn't understand how we couldn't understand what he was doing. And it made him a really bad teacher. He also, I think, like slept in his clothes at the office through the week. He would like show up at the beginning of the week in one outfit and wear that all week. So we were suspicious that he was staying the night in his office. But he would, he would be at the front of the board and he would say, you know, okay, we have this starting point and then we get here and that's the answer. And we're like, what did you just do, man? You showed us no progression along the way. And so I think that is something I've applied in my own life when it comes to ways to explain things to people. The most gifted humans are often poor coaches because they can't see how other people can't grasp it, right? I think that's one of the things that made me an interesting writer about basketball was because I wasn't at the highest, highest levels. I was kind of in between. And I can sort of translate between the two. And I feel like that uh, is true of most great coaches, that they are still figuring things out themselves. And so that makes them empathetic toward people who maybe can't get it at first. Mm. And always on that continuous learning journey as well. That's, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, empathy is um, within my top three as well. So thank you for that. And finally, our last question is where we ask you to ask us a question that Paul Shirley is curious to always want to know more about. So I think one of the things I love about helping people in general is demystifying things. I, I felt often as a kid, kind of like my family, which had moved into rural Kansas from elsewhere, uh, didn't know the codes and how to do things. I, I noticed this, you know, even growing up when it came to like, what is it like to be a professional or sorry, a college basketball player? A lot of times people didn't want to give the answers and I hated that. So I wonder like, what was your, what's your original sort of wound that you are working to ameliorate as a coach? For me, that wound was that feeling of being left out. I hated that feeling. I like to help other people kind of not feel that way right to not feel left out or, or mystified well we look forward to exploring that uh even no, more but so. 
Oh, I don't get to your oh, answer. I can answer. No, I, want, I thought I, I thought I was asking, and you were going to give me your answer. <laughs> but we can do that at the end. That, that could be a bit of fun. Uh, but if, for the moment, I'm allowed to go rogue. Let's go to back to the process. Let's let's start there because I mentioned I love the concept. Let, let's just start with that. What is the process for our listeners? Um, in the in the physical realm, it is a space here in Denver that is a co-working space which is a little different because we host structured co-working sessions. The best way to think about them is in the same way that you go to yoga. You wouldn't go to yoga and just do it sort of willy-nilly for three hours. You would go for a class. And in that same vein, all of our sessions are either an hour long or two hours long and involve some form or some uh, amount of time spent working on people's own projects, right? and some amount of time spent talking to other people about what they've done. Uh, we talk about it a lot in, in terms of building community and accountability. There's that positive peer pressure that arises when you, are, you know other people are working, so you better keep your head down and, and keep going. And then I think the, the community that arises is that sense of other people are going through what I'm going through, which is what we all want, right? We all wanna to belong to a tribe of some kind. Um, so it also takes on, in a way, the form of, of like CrossFit. There's a reason that CrossFit people are, are so devoted to each other. There's that sense of we did something hard together and now we're going to relax. In our case, uh, what people are doing is left up to them. It could be somebody's working on a pitch deck. It could be somebody's got to send eight emails. It could be that somebody's working on a creative project of the graphic design. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. What is true is that we're always helping people arrive at a state of being in the in flow or in the zone, as people say. And then from there, we do um, we actually have a, an online version of that um, that we host virtual co-working sessions all through the day, and we do some productivity training for some of our members as well. So mm -hmm. it's the I think it all starts with a physical space, and then it kind of mushrooms from there to the online version. And then we also do some business to business consulting mm -hmm. for companies that are mostly interested in work life balance and how to build good habits and defeat distraction. Yeah, and the thing I really like about it too is just the accountability, as you mentioned, accountable to your peers, but you're accountable to yourself, and just setting little micro goals to then have dedicated focus time. You know, no mobile phones, and of course, great coffee little bit of red wine on, yeah. in the evening and mm -hmm. uh, never um, for those little extra add-ons. And the website, and did you write your book? Do you want to just share a bit about that? Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, the website for those who might be interested is createyourprocess.com. Um, and as Emma mentioned, I uh, actually had a book come out at the end of last year called The Process is the Product, which is kind of my manifesto around this idea that uh, in order to accomplish anything, you have to fall in love with the process. Uh, I think a lot of people are under the mistaken impression that they can or should just gut their way through their day. And that just never ends up working out, right? Like you might think that the spoils of victory will be make it worthwhile someday, but it just it never actually goes that way. So it's teaching people that if they can, fall in love with this process. Paradoxically, that's probably when they'll have the most success. Mm -hmm. um, that there is, there's just no finish line that will make all the running worth it. 
Yeah, yeah. If you're not happy without the medal, it's not like you're going to get the medal and then all of a sudden be happy. And I'm sure you can mm-hmm. relate to that with, with all your basketball playing background. Uh, so let's flip over to the great resignation uh, that we're seeing article I read yesterday about 4.6 million Americans quitting their job last November. Why do you think that's happening and bridging the gap between that process thinking to why people are leaving and how they're going to re-enter into the workforce? What are your thoughts around that? I do think it it dovetails nicely with what we were just talking about because I, I think it's important to frame this the right way. It's not like there was some global conspiracy to make this true, but post-war Western economy was so much built around this idea that we had figured everything out and you could make everything convenient and simple and sort of streamlined. And um, that turned out to be fairly true, but what was lost was a sense of meaning and fulfillment, right? So if you go to work, I grew up near Topeka, Kansas. There was a Goodyear plant in Topeka, right? Making tires. Lots of people that I knew had parents who worked at the Goodyear plant. And I suppose there's a way to make working on the assembly line at Goodyear fulfilling. If you think about like, you know, am I getting better at this as a team? Are we, you know, working towards something that is fulfilling? But it's tough, right? As compared to I'm building something with my hands or I'm building something with my brain and then I get to go sell that thing directly, that is where real fulfillment arrives. And so what I think we're maybe seeing is kind of this hangover that has happened in it. it, Maybe it's COVID, but it also could just be that like, we got so efficient with uh, globalization that we forgot that a lot of the fun is actually in the friction, right? There's a lot of enjoyment to be had in that, that, like, the, the fact that you are like you're that you just motion like that you are butting up against something and you break through and then you realize there's another thing to butt up against we actually don't like ease we we do not like endless comfort we want some of those challenges and i think that's what we're seeing is people are saying i i just realized especially because i'm not going to an office anymore where i had some of the trappings of of social events I've just realized that what my job is, is to move emails around, right? And that just, I just don't think that is sustainable. And I think that we're in a, in a long overdue correction when it comes to these ideas of, of meaning and values. And I think people are really stripping that right back into what's my mission and how does this impact the world? Not, not just what do I love to do and, and what am I good at? It's mm-hmm. kind of now, though, you know, the the just cause or the bigger piece for them mm-hmm. to to connect with. But I think that is also a reaction to the monolithic nature of some of the companies. So, given our druthers, I think most people want to take care of each other, want to take care of the environment that they're in. So, I, I think that will actually wane because people, as as we kind of crinkle back down to like smaller entities. It won't even be a question because I'll I won't have to ask, is Emma's co- like massive company doing good? Because I'll just be like, is Emma doing good? I I think probably so. So I I can just trust. I think right now there's such a disconnect. You know, if you work at 3M, right? There's such a disconnect between you and this giant corporation that we have had to put in these thoughts about corporate responsibility, et cetera, those things come natural, come naturally to people. 
Mm. Um, and so I think that's that's almost more a reaction to what has happened over the last 60 or 70 years. So the way that the workforce is changing and the, how that relates to coaching, what do you see with regards to coaching having a real value in the workplace in the next, you know, couple of years? I was talking to my mom uh, yesterday about her job, the, the things she's running into. She works at a, an insurance company in Kansas. And one thing we were talking about is how a lot of people want to be on their own, whether that's entrepreneurially or as a contractor but what they forget is it's really a lot harder than it looks so i when i was living in kansas city right after my basketball career i would i was basically just writing i had a job writing for two different outlets weekly and you know i would get a lot from people like well, but what do you do all day and i would have to say well you know it's it's pretty hard to make yourself do things like i knew that from basketball but i'd gotten you know fairly polished it like that self-control self-discipline thing and so it was it was hard for them to get like what does the day-to-day -day look like because a big part of that is that self-discipline self-control self-motivation thing that piece and so i think the the opportunity in coaching is potentially vast right now because so many people want this thing but they don't know how to do it right like mm -hmm. they, they will think at first like well if i could just be on my own, my life would be great. And then they quit their job, start the thing, and they realize, uh-oh, I don't have any tools for this. Like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I, I say often about like being on your own, whether that's, again, running a business or just as a contractor, it, it is true that we all have to-do lists, right, for our days. If you're on your own, you have to create that to-do list also. And people forget that a lot of jobs, people, someone gives them the to-do list, and that the hard part is making the to-do list. So when you have to make it and execute it, things get really complicated really fast and uh, building systems and habits becomes all the more valuable. Yeah, I had a client recently who to-do list was always just being, her boss just basically gave her her KPIs. And she was like, oh my goodness, I have to create my own KPIs. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was, it was really, it was kind of cute because it was like this innocent thing, you know, until something becomes in our conscious awareness, then we we don't even realise and it, it continues to roll on. Um, mm -hmm. So what about, what, what would you say from your playing background then? What advice would you have to, I want to break it up into maybe top one to maximum three tips for sports coaches and then, parallels or differences one to, to three maximum tips for business coaches? What, what would you say? With sports, I think I'm always, I always tend to think about um, coaches of, of youths, right? And I, I think that what I see in the world of, of coaching youth sports is for better or worse, probably worse, a quashing of fun. So I, I think like we forget that any of these things that we're doing, we want to be efficient, we want to be uh, fulfilled, all of those things, but on some level, they have to be enjoyable. And I think when we are young, it's so vital that we get some spark of joy from a practice, a game, even a trip out to the backyard to hit uh, 
a tennis ball against the wall or shoot a basket on the in the driveway. And so many, I think, like amateur coaches want they think that a professional level coach is really like hard on their players and and they forget that those coaches also know on some level it has to be fun or you're going to lose your team or you know mm-hmm. group or, or or person that just co- person you're coaching so what i would uh, just emphasize all the time is to err on the side of making it fun mm-hmm. and that then you will be rewarded in the long run because your players will be loyal and they will look forward to showing up right like we forget sometimes i always talk about like with writing books you forget that your job as a writer of books first is to get someone to the end of the book like if they didn't get to the end of the book then they're not going to absorb anything from it right so it has to be fun enough to read that they want to get to the end and i think that's somewhere when it comes to things regarding practice or games or or discipline you got to want people to show up or you're not even going to be able to impart that discipline Mm. or those lessons. Yeah. You would, I mean, there, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, and I think, I guess when it comes to, to business things, I think it's similar. They say that in, in good relationships, the ratio of compliments to critiques is like five to one. Mm -hmm. And then in bad ones, it's sort of the opposite. I think that's true when it comes to employees, people we're working with, like you, you only get so many critiques before someone's just like, I don't want to, I don't want to look at this email because it's just another you know, criticism. So figuring out how to, you know, in, in writing circles, we would say uh, kiss before kick, right? So like say something that you liked about it and then say the thing that you would change. Um, and you'll notice, even as I said that, I didn't say like, dislike, it's what did you like and what would you change, which has a much more positive connotation than dislike. Um, I think people <clears throat> just don't respond well to you saying things that you don't like about it. They do respond to, I have an idea for you. Would you like to hear it? that kind of language and, and those kinds of mm. ways of thinking? I think like, you know, that can get into the realm of what people would call toxic positivity, which I, I think is valuable to address. Like, it's not saying everything you do is right. It's emphasizing the things that are going correctly that we've made progress on and then now making uh, firm but caring or, or loving adjustments along the way. Mm, mm, I love that. Caring's been a nice through line, empathy uh, and love. You know, I think that's that's important that we, sh- mm-hmm. we show that. And I'm in the depths of the book, <laughs> the book trenches right now. And I admire anyone that, that writes and, and th- th- thanks for that reminder about keeping it to get somebody from start to end, get them, get them to the finish line. Uh, so back to your original final question on the podcast uh, in thinking about what you mentioned in terms of demystifying something that I, that I'm really curious about in answering that was the moment when I got out of tennis coaching altogether was the moment that I learned how to communicate with different types of people. Like I had to realize that I had to change who I was rather than coach with one style. And I think that's another really good lesson that it took me a while to sort of demystify that as a coach. You know, I was Mm -hmm. kinesthetic and extrovert and big energy and I had all the answers and, 
you know, come with me and I'll, you know, which is great for about half the population. <laughs> and right. the other half of the population, uh, I, I couldn't bring the best out in them. And I think that's one thing I wish as a younger coach that I had access to that information earlier. It's mm. kind of like I got burnt out and out of the sport and that to be able to then tap into that different ways that people communicate, different ways that people behave and how to adjust my style in order to bring out the best of who's in front of me, that that empathetic, individual-first, player-centred approach to coaching uh, is one thing that that came to my mind in off the back of your question. So thank you for that. And I certainly invite all the listeners to reflect on uh, that. what's that one wound and demystify that, that one wound. Um, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and learning just a little bit more of this. I know there's still so much more to you. I'm so fortunate that we live in Denver and together and um, can hang out more and, and collaborate on whatever the future holds, but no doubt it will be uh, with empathy and care and love. So thank you so much, Paul. Thank you. I look forward to um, both of us making a lot of mistakes along the way and uh, learning from them. And by the time we're dead, we will have figured all of this out. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Thanks, everybody. Bye for now. The Coaching Podcast was brought to you by Emma Doyle and Simon Blair. Emma Doyle is a global speaker and performance coach helping unleash human potential. Her website is emmadoyle.com.au. And I'm Simon Blair, trainer, assessor, and coach of sales and customer service skills with my own company, Five Degrees. Connect with me on LinkedIn, or email me at simon.blair at five degrees, that's F-I-V-E-D-E-G-R-E-E-S dot com dot A-U. And if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to give it a rating and a review on your podcast listening device. Thanks for listening.